glad that you could be here, and uh, as we join together in looking at the Word, may it be a blessing for us. Let's ask God for its blessing on our lives uh, with a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we're asking that your Word may be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Uh, We're grateful that your Word is true, it's trustworthy, it's without error, uh, because it is inspired by your Spirit. It is your Word, and we would pray that we would handle it rightly, reverentially, attentively, and that the very Spirit who inspired it may work in our hearts to receive a blessing from His Word and yours and the Son's. We would pray, Lord, that what is proclaimed too might be proclaimed then in a reflection of what the Word speaks and faithfully uh, handling your Word that way so that it might be clear to us it might be presented to your praise and it might proclaim again the, the, the myriads of blessings, of the benefits vast uh, that we possess in Christ. May you accept our prayer for the sake of Jesus. Amen. We're going to turn this evening to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 9. And uh, we're picking up again out of the uh, letter that Paul wrote to, the first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. And we, last time that we were together on this, that would have been a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at how uh, we are not our own, we're bought with a price, and we're supposed to honor God in our bodies. And uh, we have, in this portion of God's Word, we're going to be hearing, among other things, about how our bodies, even in terms of our marriages, don't belong to each other. They belong to our spouses. That's just one thing that's going to be addressed in this portion that we're reading as we see the Apostle uh, taking up some matters that need clarity or continued matters that need clarity, and he's looking at trying to clear up some confusion about marriage. So we're going to be looking at verses seven, uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, to start with this evening from uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Here's what God's Word says to us there. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, 
I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. That's God's word for us tonight, and we thank the Lord for it. May it be a blessing to us to receive his word this evening. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I could imagine that there have been times in your lives when either you have posed the question that got an answer, yes and no, or you've had questions posed to you and you've had to answer, yes and no. Now, that didn't make you milk toast necessarily. That didn't mean that you weren't a person that was definitive about things, but you realize that certain questions can't always be answered so simply. Uh, you know, if you took, for example, the idea, if somebody were to ask you the question, should a person step in front of a truck? Well, that's kind of a vague question, isn't it? Because what do you mean by that? If, if you want an answer, I'm going to say yes and no, or yes or no. Because it depends on what you're talking about there. Your question isn't specific enough. Did you ever step in, in front of an oncoming truck for no reason? Well, no. Should I perhaps step in front of an oncoming truck? Sometimes. Yeah. If, if I want to push somebody out of the way who's about to get hit, Yes, if, if you want to do that, should, should, should you step in front of a truck? Yes, if you want to get the hood open. Right? It, it depends on what you're talking about with questions such as this, that. And, and something similar is happening here in our passage tonight. There was confusion in the church about marriage. And, and there were those that, who were looking for advice from Paul because they were hearing people say, you shouldn't have intimacy with a woman. But that didn't mean ever, or, or did that mean ever, or, or, or in just certain situations. And that's what Paul is trying to clear up in, in our passage tonight for the church. Of course, it's going to be a, a chapter that goes into more things about marriage, but this is what we're going to take up tonight. Um, and as he does that tonight, he does that and brings to us, he carries out a great favor for us as he does this. Great service. Whether we're married or not. Right? Because as we're talking about, well, this is clearing up confusion about marriage, you might just say to yourself, well, I'm single or I'm widowed, widowed and so I can check out on, on this, this sermon or this portion of God's word. No. Because this passage is doing a great favor and a great service to people whether they're married or they're not married. So that we can see that whether we are married or not, the role that we play in God's kingdom can still be a good one. Whether we're married or not. And that's to our comfort. That's, that's encouraging to hear that. And that's what Paul brings you. 
And so we want to see Paul's principles on marriages tonight in terms of his ironing out some of the confusion that people had over marriage. And we see at our first point that, that Paul wants to make clear that the single life is good. Now, I mean, the portion that we look at near the conclusion, you know, that he says to the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as they am. The single life is good. And the second point is that the married life is natural. And so we look at both of those things this evening. First of all, that the single life is good. It's good. Evidently, there were two camps in the Corinthian church. But there were those who had to be admonished. And we saw that especially the last time we looked at 1 Corinthians 6. These people had to be, to be admonished for their views that, that it really didn't matter what somebody did with their bodies. Because they were bodies. And so whatever you did with them, that's fine. Because it doesn't matter how you act with your body. And I mean, it doesn't matter how you act sexually. Yes, we, we chatted a lot about that the last time we, we visited in, in 1 Corinthians 6. And they were what you might call the libertines, right? They were the people who were like, you know, anything goes. We're free to do whatever we want with our bodies. But then there were the, the legalists on the other side who were saying, in part, no doubt, to try to curb promiscuity. They, that, that people wanted to avoid sex altogether. Even if one were married, because somehow, some way, because of, again, the physicality of, uh, of sexuality, there was something wrong about, about sex in and of itself. And the Apostle Paul's clearing up the confusion here. That's, his, that's what he wants to do. That's what he's doing in a lot of these portions in 1 Corinthians. Before, he was, he was touching on, on how the church was being contaminated by the world around it. And now, he's touching on how some within the membership are being confused in understanding their faith. Both are areas that we want, both of those areas that are, are areas where we want to avoid. Because Satan loves that. He likes to hit us in both of those areas. To be contaminated by the world and to misunderstand how it is that we're supposed to be living out our faith. He wants to contaminate us with the world's perspective and he wants us to misunderstand our own faith. And misunderstanding our faith can be just as deadly because like Hosea would say, God's people get destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so Paul starts out with that statement, that model. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now perhaps this is something he, that he had said that was taken out of context or without qualification, or, or maybe it was a model that people were using to curb promiscuity. In any case, plenty of people no doubt were confused by the statement, and Paul is here to clear it up. He's here to clear up the confusion. Now, most people in those days were of the impression that marrying should happen sooner rather than later. In, in the times of Corinth, Rome, and ancient Greece, it, uh, wasn't un, it was uh, remarkable. The legal age for girls getting married was 12 years old. And for boys, it was 15. Although it's true at the same time that, that men tended to, to marry later on 
And a lot of times that had to do for maturity's sake. And, and, and some other obvious reasons that would come along with it. But at the same time, though, there were those who saw the problem that was taking place in the world around them. People were the people got married all right, and maybe they got married earlier than we would ever expect in our day and age, but promiscuity still abounded. And some, of course, which not, isn't surprising, as it's the way it is with the depravity of people and the perversity of people, uh, some saw nothing wrong with that promiscuity. Some saw prostitution as, a, as an avenue down, uh, down, which was the avenue down the best of both worlds uh, way to go. Avoiding marriage because it was a tie down and still kind of having your cake and eat it too, so to speak, um, by involving oneself with people outside of marriage. They didn't have to have the commitment of marriage. But then they felt like they could have some of the things that come along with marriage. Others saw passion and, and romance as something, again, inherently evil. Because of its explicitly physical nature. And, and the physical wasn't to be preferred over the spiritual. Uh, so such a motto is, is what we hear here. That you know it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Seems quite appropriate. For some, being married was associated with being a good citizen and, and even an expression of virtue and even obedience. In Jewish circles, by some it was even commanded. You were seen as, if you can imagine, you were seen as sinning if you didn't marry. And then adding to the confusion, you added to all of that was the stigma that some people felt for not being married. Some saw it as tragic. Some felt inferior as unmarried, and especially if some considered it a command. So it was important for Paul to make things clear in regard to this statement. On the one hand, it was true that one shouldn't touch a woman promiscuously. It is also true that there is goodness in being unmarried. It's okay. However, Paul was not commanding people to be unmarried. And yet if they are unmarried, single people need not feel inferior. Nobody has the right to stigmatize them. One need not stigmatize oneself. Because as the passage reminds us very encouragingly, consolingly, as we look at this portion that we have here out of God's Word, each has his own gift from God. In verse 7, one of one kind and one of another. Nobody has the right to stigmatize anybody that way, married or single, because it is God who endows people for whatever life he would have them live. Paul reminds some, uh, brings some comforting words to the single person that way. Paul mentions that there are those who are able to live singly who are endowed by the Lord. Some people are gifted to be married. Some are gifted to be single. But all are gifted one way or another. And the key is to discern the gift 
and to respond accordingly to God's blessing. Paul does not, Paul makes the point that there is something advantageous about, about being single. You know, he says, I, I wish that all were as myself as I am. Well, there must, he must see that as some kind of advantage. And then he says to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to, to remain single as I am. And, and there's more that will be talked about in the you know, verses following that allow us to look more deeply into some of these things. But, but you know, Paul is making a point that there is something advantage, advantageous about being single. Paul was that way himself. And it no doubt made it easier for him to go on, on all the missionary journeys upon which he embarked. Uh, it can make things more flexible in working in the Lord's kingdom. Though, though, again, we have to be careful, don't we? People can sometimes forget that single people don't have spouses to help them in their everyday needs of life. And we have to be careful not to think that because a person is single, that necessarily that they always have more time on their hands. Um, just less relational commitment. But, uh, you know, I've seen, it, I've seen that in times past, too, where people have served in, let's say, have served in council or consistory, and somebody says, well, you know, you're single, you've got more time to take care of some of these things than some of us do. And then people forget that uh, those single people have to take care of all the certain things that a, a, an office bearer who has a, has a spouse might be able to help them take care of. It's not always something that's easier for a single person. But Paul also recognizes that there are some advantages that way to serve the Lord in singleness. But one of the best things about this portion of Scripture is that Paul is making the point that being single is not second rate. It can be an opportunity to serve the Lord in a way that distinguishes itself in a blessed way from those who are not endowed with that gift but are gifted toward marriage. And if you're not married and, and, and you wonder about why that is, I, I can remember when I was younger, just to say that too, you know, I wasn't married when I was 20. I was married when I was 25. And I had a lot of friends of mine who got married when they were, when they were 20 and 21. And, and you felt like at that point already you go, well, you know, what's wrong with me? You know, but you might think that way sometimes. If you're not married and you wonder about why that is, it isn't because God has abandoned you. But because God wants to use you in accordance with your singleness at the moment, for sure. In accordance with the scripture, then, the single life is good. If it wasn't good, then Paul wouldn't suggest to people to stay in it, even though it's not a command to do so. You don't have to be discouraged in your singleness. But even though the single life is good, Paul also wants to make the point here in this passage that the married life is natural. And it has its benefits. He states that when he qualifies the statement about touching a woman, Paul doesn't want promiscuity. But he's not going to condemn marriage. In fact, he sees marriage as a, as a hedge against immorality, doesn't he? But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. 
Which, by the way, is very clear, isn't it, about what marriage is supposed to look like. One man to one woman. One woman to one man. And this is a hedge against immorality that way. It's interesting to note that that this was one of the reasons why people married younger in the days of, of the New Testament, because marriage was seen as a solution to temptation, to promiscuity, to immorality. Now, of course, marriage is more than that, much more than that. But this was the way people were supposed to approach the temptations that they faced. If that's the way it's going to be, then see to it that, that you get married. The husband should give his to his should give to his wife her conjugal rights and, and likewise the wife to her husband. But in order to show the legalists that they were off the mark about going to the other extreme, Paul makes the point that marriage cannot be that hedge of immorality to immorality if people are going to refuse to engage in the marriage act. Because then what's going to happen? Then people are going to look to other people and other things. And they're going to burn with uncontrollable passion, says our passage, just as much as, as some of those who are not yet married are going to do if they don't get married. Now, I've heard of people, I, I, I can't say that I've, I've, I've seen it or I've encountered it personally, but I know that I've that there have been people who have who have held their spouses hostage that way. They they've they they've said that unless their spouse would do this or that, they wouldn't be intimate with them. They kind of hold that out as a bargaining chip. The Lord through the apostles says that if we do that, then we are in a in for a world of trouble and we are refusing to recognize that we have no right as spouses to act like that. Now why is that? Well, just as we hear in the sixth chapter that our bodies belong to the Lord and not to ourselves, so also do we hear in this passage that that's true with regard to our spouses. We are not our own. When we leave our parents to cleave to our spouses, we've become one. Maritally and biblically speaking, we are no longer our own. We belong bodily to our spouses. The passage speaks that to that. The wife doesn't have authority over his own, her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. We belong bodily to the other. We have to realize that very very important truth when we're married. We, we don't belong to ourselves in marriage. And that's true, not just sexually, that's just true, period. Marriage isn't simply something we get into so that we can leverage that to our advantage all the more. Because we don't belong to each other, to ourselves. We belong to the other. We seek to serve them with our attitudes and our actions. We have to be concerned for the other. And marriage won't work if, it does, if we're not like that. It won't be what it's supposed to be. If all we're concerned about in a marriage is me. 
if we don't concern ourselves for the other, whether we're talking about the marriage act or whatever it is that we are involved with as married people. Paul is in essence saying, you've got a duty to your spouse. You know, physically, or you want to talk about that way, or otherwise. And the idea is that this act should be fulfilling and satisfying and pleasurable and confirming of the relationship that we have with our spouse. We're concerned for that other person in that manner, just like we're supposed to be concerned for our spouse in everything that they undertake and everything that involves them. And if we deprive them of those things, we're refusing to express the commitment and the trust and the love and the care and the affection and the, and the pleasure for our spouses and to our spouses that this act or anything else that we do for our, our, our spouses allows us to express. Not for ourselves, but for them. Now, Paul says that there's going to be times when it's simply not going to be appropriate for the, the marriage act to take place. He realizes that. He says, don't deprive yourself of one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's going to be those times, time of prayer. What, when does a person... Uh, have to pray in those kind of cases. Well, maybe it's because, you know, if you think about prayer, obviously there, there's, there's supposed to be prayer at all times in our lives, daily, but when, but when Paul talk, talks this way, he's, he's speaking about times when the need for prayer is especially important. You know, maybe in a time of penitence, maybe in a, in a time of important affairs, maybe it's preparing... Uh, for prayer in the time of calamity or in difficult matters, something significant that way. The idea is that even though the marriage act is important, this is the thing that, that really is the bottom line of it, even though the marriage act is important, there are more important things than sexuality. There, there's, there's a season for everything under the sun. And there are times when the act is more appropriate. There are, are times that it's simply not the right time to come together. And it's not just for spiritual activities, but maybe you're not well. Or maybe it wouldn't be the be in the best interest for the person at that particular time. Or, or, or maybe something else important is, is going on in the family, but you're concerned for the other that way still. And Paul says, but then you have to agree on that. You have to talk that out. And you have to be open about these things, or otherwise you're going to have more problems. And it's the old story then about communicating. Don't presume anything. Talk it out. But as you do that, you make agreements, don't be away too long, he says, because then you, you've got the other problem which, the saint, which Satan likes to tempt you with. But here too, Let's remember that the Lord endows us all differently. Just because you're not married doesn't mean you cannot get married. And just because you're a widow or you become a widow, that doesn't mean you must stay that way. 
there's nothing more pious about these things one way or the other. For that matter, if you're wounded in a divorce, the Lord would rather have you marry than burn with passion. We're all different that way. The Lord will make that clear to us all in His time. But Satan likes to see, Satan likes to take to take us to extremes by confusing our thinking about things that are good in themselves, and, and he wants to pervert them in our minds. On the one hand, he wants to make us believe that that anything goes. On the other hand. He wants to try to deprive us of those things that God has made good only to make us do the evil with it. And that can happen when he tries to confuse us about marriage. The Lord wants us to be encouraged by reminding us that the single life is good. It's good. And the marriage Life is natural. And neither is wrong in themselves. It's when we misuse them or misunderstand them that we become less than what the Lord would have us be. Oh, may the Lord help us to be clear about marriage and the single state so that we will exercise the gifts that the Lord has given us to his praise, to his glory, as those who believe that we're not our own, but that we belong to Christ. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Father, we're grateful when the scriptures can speak to us as they do to in our situations and, and personally and pertinently. And we're grateful when your word can clear up matters for us. And we pray that today that we may have been encouraged about the status in which we find ourselves. Uh, not that these things have just happened to us, but that we are under your gracious care. That you give us gifts, you provide for us so that we might serve you wherever we find ourselves. And so may we be encouraged that way today as the Apostle speaks to us about the single life being good and the married life being natural. And that these are good things that you have given, good gifts from heaven above. And all good gifts are from heaven above. And so we thank you, Lord, for your loving care for giving those gifts. And may we not be blinded by Satan's lies and, and by his cloudiness so that we might pervert what has been given for your glory and for our good. May we, Lord, be blessed and not stigmatized. Don't allow anybody to stigmatize us because of whatever situation which we find ourselves. But rather, Lord, that we would take joy in knowing that where we are, we are because of your blessed hand. May we use those times in which we find ourselves and not accidentally placed there, placed there by your fatherly care to serve you well wherever we, whatever status we might find ourselves, married or single. 
so that your name may be exalted in our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, to whom we belong, body and soul. May you hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. As we...